I want to talk this morning for a few minutes about humble dads over perfect dads. And let me, let me begin a couple things. I, I'm wearing this shirt, one of the Father's Day gifts that Candace um, gave me. And I want to go on record again and just make it clear everybody understands. We have seven children, but I don't even like children. Um, we had them as a result of I like her, she likes me a lot. I couldn't keep her away from me, and so we have seven. I did everything I could. Um, being a father is hard work. Um, it's humbling. Um, it's rewarding at times, but it's not for the faint or the weak at heart. Um, marriage to me is a lot easier than parenting because at least your spouse loves you. And there are times that your children, you're convinced they don't love you, and they're convinced they don't love you, and they don't mind telling you at the top of their lungs, you know. But it, it's work. I mean, there's this idea in fathering that we have to be perfect and that our, our children need a superhero. And if we're not a superhero, then they're going to be wounded and they're going to limp into life. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. We don't have to be perfect. We can't be perfect. You know, secretly, um, my parents have, have asked, I'm, I'm sorry, people have asked me about my own upbringing. And as if, was there a secret that your parents knew about parenting to raise godly children that the rest of us don't know? And I'm going to talk about that near the end of the teaching this morning but secretly all of us fathers feel a very real pressure that leaves with us most often a gnawing sense of shame that we don't measure up and I want to encourage dads this morning not some false sense of encouragement but I want to offer you some encouragement from God's word some solid teaching truth in his word and, um, and we're going to look at a story, a significant story, where a father seemingly failed, and yet God did an amazing work. Now, my dad just passed away in February, and my dad was real. He was a man's man, um, but he was broken, and he was flawed, um, and he was raised as an orphan. I won't bore you with that story, but I know many of you have never heard it. His dad came in from World War II, PTSD. He unloaded six bullets in the back of my grandmother when my dad was 18 months old. And God miraculously reached down and preserved my dad in a godly orphanage in a little small town in um, south central Virginia, Danville, Virginia. And um, so my, my dad, I'm not here today because my dad was perfect. I am here today because my dad was sincere and broken and humble. And he really loved the Lord, as did my mother. Now, there's challenges, though, you know, growing up, you know, the way I viewed my dad. And one man said, by the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son that thinks he's wrong. Can I get a witness? So Hebrews chapter 12, familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure I'm not the only pastor in America that's going to be speaking from this passage. But this is not necessarily our text. We're going to look at two different passages. Hebrews 12, 
the B part of verse 5 says this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had, listen, human fathers who disciplined us as we re- and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, our earthly fathers, listen to this, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can I get a witness? Come on, anybody going through it right now? It's not fun for the one offering the discipline or the one receiving it. But no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It actually seems painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Now, this is a great passage. It opens up, and he's talking about Jesus and the great cloud of witnesses. And he says, you know, even Jesus endured suffering. He went through the the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? That he would restore the sons and daughters back to his father. And then the writer of Hebrews begins to, to address us and say, listen, what Jesus went through, we'll have to go through, but it's for a grand purpose. And we're disciplined by our Heavenly Father because He loves us. We are His sons and daughters, and He refuses to let us be illegitimate. And then He compares the earthly father and parenting. And there's a, there's a, there's a little phrase in here that I've never heard other people talk about it. And it's found in verse 10. And it says this. For they, dis- for they earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But then he disciplines us for our good and we become holy as a result. But the, the writer says, here's what he's implying when he says, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Here's what the writer is implying. God is saying this. I know they weren't perfect. And I still let them parent you. And just be thankful that they only had you for a little while. Or they would have really messed you up. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, but it's okay. Because I'm going to have you longer than they had you. And there's nothing that they could have done or failed to do that I can't fix. 
That's, that's what, the, if you read, I don't have time to break it down in the message because when I start breaking down a verse in the message, I take the whole passage and it blows the whole sermon. But this is, this is what he's saying. Just be thankful that your imperfect dad that I gave you to and him to you only had you for a little while, but I can fix it. And in fact, I'm going to make you holy and you're going to live a good fruitful, productive life. How many of you say, thank God, because my dad was slightly imperfect. Now, as my girls were prepared to get married, both of them, I told them that I had done the best job I could do, and I knew that it was not perfect. And we had this conversation. I said, do I have some regrets? Absolutely, I do. Did I make some mistakes? And we both nodded our head. You bet, I did. And I told them that it's okay that if one day they have to sit with a counselor and process the imperfections of their father and how it impacted them. And I told them that it it would not dishonor me if they have to do that. And I said that because I know what happens when people become adults. No one that I know has ever had a perfect father. Therefore, they didn't arrive at adulthood perfect. To where when they got married, their wife was like, wow, did I win the jackpot? Your mother and your father raised you perfectly. You are the perfect husband. I mean, I was close, but we weren't quite there. And nor have I, did I think that Candace was raised perfectly and that she was perfect? Yes, I did. When we walked down the aisle, when Pastor Munn tried to offer us premarital counseling, I just nodded, thinking, I know what... Pastor Mike, we're not the typical couple. I remember the first time. You don't know what this girl does to me. I love her. And Pastor Mike was like, I look like a Krispy Kreme donut, just <laughs> glazed over. And then about six months in, you realize, wow. And you realize, we, we all are broken. I told my daughters, I said, you know what? On my best day, when I am as godly as I can be, I will point you to Father God. And on my worst day, when I blow it, I will point you to Father God. You know, a man was in a small group meeting I was with not long ago, and we were sitting at a table. And the question was asked, what do you want written on your tombstone? And he said, I want this to be written. He was a perfect father. And I said, Ah, that is terrible. Who would want that on? And he looked at me like, what's wrong with that? I said, well, as an old youth pastor, father of seven, I would hate to be your children. That your goal is you want to be known as a perfect father. The pressure that would put on me to help you live up to what you want people to think about you. There's... That's just a pressure no kid needs. And he said, well, what do you want put on your tombstone? 
I said, I wanted to say he wasn't a perfect father. But he was humble. He didn't even love his children. But he loved his wife. That's what I want to put on my tombstone. This is a real conversation. You know, like, I love Dr. James Dobson and focus on the family. But I wouldn't want to be one of his children. The pressure of, oh, you know. What, my mentor that I adore, I wouldn't have wanted to be one of his children because everywhere his children went, they said, oh, you're pastor children. And they struggled and still do to live up to that. You know, so be thankful you weren't raised in focus on the family hallways. Be thankful that your father wasn't perfect. And dads, give yourself a break. You don't have to be. God can take it from here. Now, as I said earlier, people ask me, you know, was there a secret about how mom and dad pastored or parented me? I want to know if there was any secret to raising healthy, godly children. And my siblings and I talked about this because, as you know, my, we buried my mother on a Monday and my father passed on the, the Saturday, six days later, Saturday night. And so we had a lot of time of reflection. And, and we talked a lot about our children and now our grandchildren coming. And uh, many of you have heard me ad nauseum talk about my father and the impact. And Pastor Munn said, the staff meeting after my father's memorial, he said this. He said, I wish the whole church had been at Papa Charlie's memorial. He said, because they would understand what God is doing in this church. You don't have to be perfect. You can come from a broken place, as my dad did. My siblings and I talked, and we said, you know, mom nor dad were neither perfect. Mom was a lot closer than dad, as is usually the case. But we said this. They had an authentic love for Jesus. They, really, they weren't like just in ministry to make a living. My mom and dad weren't religious, but they loved Jesus, and we knew it. And they were authentic. They weren't performance-oriented. Were there things thrown in the kitchen in our house? Yes. Were there things said that children shouldn't have said or heard? Yes. And thank God we were only there for a little while. And we grew up. And the, the father who made the commitment who said, I can fix everything that they break. And I have come to learn he can. I wasn't born with a silver spoon, spiritually speaking, in my mouth. Neither was my father. I shouldn't be here because he should have never been there. But here we are. I'm moved. I feel the anointing coming down upon me. Because I'm speaking into some broken places. I'm speaking into some people, especially men. You are convinced that that shame you must carry. I feel it now. In Jesus' name, before we finish today, you are going to be freed from that poor satanic identity. And you're going to be set free to live your life and fulfill your destiny in the name of Jesus. Now... 
Candace and I, we've done some things right. And we've done some things wrong. And we've raised some pastor's kids. And you know, pastor's kids don't have a good rep. And they're often the worst kids in the whole youth group. Because they live under this, in this glass house where they have to be perfect. And we've just never forced our kids to be perfect. And we've told the stories about our own imperfections. In fact, it's funny. Uh, we had an elder meeting. Our schedules have been messed up uh, May and June. Actually, I don't even think we've met for like eight, ten weeks, which is the longest we've ever gone without a meeting. So we met early yesterday morning before prayer, and uh, I was filling them in on certain situations, and a situation came up, and I said, yeah, Candace and I um, a while back met with a couple, and we, we were having to process some conflict in the church. And so it was a very pastoral moment. And so we got in the car, and because women have a sense about how things really went, and they know better than what men think, I said, Honey, how do you think it went? And she said this. I wish you would talk to me the way you talk to them. And it was kind of a light moment until I said this. Well, if you'd be as teachable as they are... <laughs> I had to lighten the moment. And I won't tell you what she said next. <laughs> but seriously, it, it was, we were having fun. And I was living on the edge. <laughs> and I just relayed that to the elders yesterday, just that Candace said it went well, but she was like, you need to talk to us like you talk to them. And uh, one of the elders just said, I'm not the only one. My wife says the same thing. So, I, God help us to be real. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that we're going to read. It's 13 long verses. And it's a familiar passage of Scripture where the prophet's getting ready to go to Jesse's house and the word is leaked out that He's coming to select the next king of Israel. And then Jesse gets the invite that it's just his family that's been invited. So Jesse's going, wow, I have eight sons. Which one will it be? 1 Samuel chapter 16, here on the screen, it picks up in verse 1. I think this is the NIV version. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul, the first king that I appointed... If he hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say. You know, it's a whole other sermon. It's just awesome. When you're moving through a transition that can be dangerous, make sure you are worshiping. You bring something to worship to where there can be a covering and a covenant of protection. It's a whole other sermon. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. 
and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do, do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely, that's the dude. That's the anointed one. Wow, look at him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his outward appearance or on the height of his stature. And that's a reference to, you just selected Saul. He was bigger, stronger, better than all the other men. And you selected him based on what you saw. Let's don't do that again. And God says, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not, this is a great verse. It should be memorized on everybody's hard drive. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, nah, neither the Lord, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, nah, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. What? Then Samuel said, are, are these all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, I'm, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. And I love this. We will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. I love this. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Just see that picture of this youngest child coming in, knowing he had not been invited to the big day. He had been disinvited. And here the Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, don't you love this, rushed upon David. How many of you love for the Spirit of the Lord to rush upon you? From that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now I know this is just the beginning of the transition for David. There was a, there was a lot of betrayal a lot of fear running for his life. He's anointed, but he, and he's appointed, but he has not been seated in his place. That's not the sermon, but that's a huge part of what we're looking at here. Now, let's back up and summarize these 13 verses. Here's the situation. Everybody would agree. This is a big event. This is a big moment. This is the biggest moment in the history of this family. The prophet Samuel is coming to our town. There's one vote for who gets to be king in Israel, and it's Samuel's. And he's narrowed it down to Bethlehem. And he gets to Bethlehem, and he narrows it down to Jesse's family. And so it's one of us eight, and one does not get invited. It's a big event. And as they're getting ready... All eight of them are 
pumped up and excited. And Samuel goes, hey, David, we're going to need you. While we go off, we're going to need you to watch the sheep. Which brings me to the second thing. It's a big event, but it's missing its main character. Jesse doesn't know it yet, but his youngest son, David, is the next king of Israel. Eliab didn't know it. Abinadab, Shema, they didn't know it. And the others thought it might be their lucky day, but no. David, the main character, doesn't even get invited. And they have no clue what was about to happen as they were rejected and their little brother was about to be chosen. The third thing, Samuel asked Jesse in this story, Are, is this it? Are these all of your boys? And let me ask you something. What, what kind of father disinvites one of his sons when the moment his son is going to be chosen king? I think one of two things happened. Either Jesse was like, oh, David, he's the youngest. Surely we're going to start at the top. And there's no way you're going to reject seven and then get to David. I think it was partly, you know what, you're, you probably have the least chance of all of them. So I don't think necessarily that it was a fatherly, you know, rejection issue. Or it could have been that Jesse was like, you know, He's kind of artsy, and he just does music, and kings don't do music. I think that could have been it. That's the kind of father that doesn't invite him. What, he, what the father doesn't know is, what he's putting David through is qualifying him to sharpen his skills. What the father doesn't know at this time and in the years to come, the little shepherd boy would write more worship songs than any other person in the history of planet Earth. What he doesn't realize is he's sending him out there and he's preparing himself for a battle and he's honing in on that, those slingshot skills. And God is using all of this to prepare David for a big, big appointment. But hear this. David's got to deal with the fact that for whatever reason, I, you don't think I have a chance? Yeah, I'm musical. Yeah, I'm artsy. But not every musician is a pansy. I can fight. What you don't see, Dad, is those sheep you gave me, one time a bear came up. And that wasn't in the job description, protect the sheep from the bear. But you know what I did? I took him out. Y'all don't know your Bible. <laughs> Not only that, one time Simba came up. And went, ah. You may be king of the jungle, but I'm getting ready to be king of Israel. There's a new sheriff in town. These are my, no, these are his sheep. God was using that situation to, to stretch and challenge David, to work through some rejection issues, 
some. I got left out. I got picked over. But I'm showing somebody I can take care of sheep. And I'll stand when the king needs the demons to run away and leave him alone. Who does he call? He calls me in to play worship music for him. God's working in this situation. Are y'all out there? Apparently, David doesn't let this affect him as he walks into the room just being who he is, ruddy, with beautiful eyes and handsome. He doesn't walk in moping. I got left out. He hasn't taken offense. He doesn't become depressed. He doesn't decide to just mope around. No. Here he is on the day that the trajectory of his life was about to change dramatically. In fact, the trajectory of God's people was about to change dramatically. Here he is with a God-given destiny about to commence. And his own father didn't even think there was a chance he could do anything significant. I got to pause here a second. You know, I'm really convicted. I can't say what I'm about to say as, as strong as I feel it. You don't know who's coming to your breakfast table every morning. We don't know who was in this performing arts camp this week. We don't know who took the mic. Now, it was more than a, that is so cute. Y'all do such a good job with your children. Oh, our children are our, the, our arrows. Our quiver in this church is going to be full. And the day is coming when we're going to draw back our bow and we're going to shoot those children into the next generation. And God help us to not overlook them and think, well, we were just stuffing a Pop-Tart in, in some cereal in their mouth and sending them off to school. May Oh, May God have us raise up an evangelist, a pastor, a missionary. Listen, before you clap, I need the time. Listen, bringing Coleman Bailey in here a few weeks ago released something in this church. My own son is in Kenya right now, and we're praying like we've never prayed because Stone got with Coleman without even asking our permission and made arrangements to go to West Africa and the DR Congo and deal with all the stuff that Coleman had talked about. Coleman came here and released something in this church. You are one of them. There's others of you. I've heard some of you have you had your children come to you and say, I want to, you know what is happening? God is raising up some Davids in this place. You may think, oh, not mine. They're just a bookworm. They just do, they're in band. My kid is eating up with sports. My kid is this. My kid doesn't even, my kid doesn't even. Well, you don't have a David, do you? You might. May we in this church, may we act like we're raising up a hundred Davids. Y'all are not out there with me. It's Father. Listen, y'all know, many of you were here when I was a youth pastor. 
If we're going to do it, we're swinging for the fence. We're believing God is raising up an army of young men and women who will love him, will be people of prayer, people of worship, people with faith that they will. Yes, somebody's got to change this world. Somebody's got to be a vessel, a conduit through which the almighty God can send his power through to turn the reject the trajectory of a nation. They may be the children in this church. May it be the children that you ride home with this afternoon. Oh. Mm. But David had to deal with some stuff, some father wounds. Rejection's a tough pill to swallow. Typically, for most people, father wounds can go one of two ways. Either a person is made bitter by the experience, they're hurt, offended, and angered. And that's the case for most, sadly. However, I've seen others where Father God used the pain of the father rejection in their lives to shape them, to be effective in life and in the kingdom. Some people, listen, my dad was one of these. Some people are tenderized by the pain. They kind of become humble and more sensitive to others. And they're drawn intimately close to the father because of what they've experienced. It's usually one of those two things that happen. Now here's, I'm closing with these four things that we need to look back on this story on this Father's Day. And I want you to, I want, I want to extract some principles from the word. And here's the first one. When God has a plan for your life, no one can prevent that plan from being fulfilled. Even your earthly father so don't be a victim. I need to say this again for the people on Facebook, not the people in our church, but people who might see this. Don't be a victim. Don't be a victim. When God has a plan for your life, no one, everybody say it with me, no one, say it again, no one can prevent that plan from being fulfilled. Only you can. Second thing, God never wastes your pain. It can be used to shape you into the kind of person that he wants you to be in order to fulfill the destiny he has placed on your life. Everybody look at me. Your level of brokenness and the time you're having to be there might be an indication of the significance of the calling on your life. Just talk to Joseph who did nothing wrong and spent 13 years in the slammer because he was getting ready to go to the palace. Are y'all out there? Number three, when you are anointed by God, your moment will come. You may not get invited to the party, but it's your party. If it's your party, God will cause your circumstances to arrange in such a way to get you where you need to be at just the right time. Are y'all out there? Y'all got pot roast in your mind right now. When you are anointed by God, your moment will come. And lastly, to you fathers, when you as a father underestimate your child, don't beat yourself up. Jesse was raising David, but he didn't know it. 
David, the one who wrote most of the Psalms, David who slew Goliath, David, one of the main characters of the Old Testament, David who would be the one from whose lineage Jesus, the Messiah, would come. And his dad didn't even know it, had no idea. So give yourself a break. Now let me go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Now, there's a picture of my dad here. And um, this is a picture of a picture when I was 11 years old. And I don't, I don't know exactly how old my dad would have been at that time. In his 40s, I'm going to guess. He had never seen his father since he was an infant. And we, his father who spent 51 years in the state penitentiary in North Carolina. And I don't know why my dad did this, except he just wanted to try and connect with his father. And he took my mother and my little brother. My two sisters were off and grown in college and whatnot. And so the four of us went. And I'll never forget when he came into the room, his father, imagine decades in a state penitentiary, already with a mental illness. And my dad showed this picture to his father. And his father recognized and said, Banks, that's what they called my dad growing up. And my dad tried to communicate to him, yeah, I'm, I'm him, I'm Banks. And his father couldn't compute it and didn't, never did acknowledge or accept that my father was who he was. We couldn't get him to believe it. And I'll never forget, it took months for my dad to really bounce back and, and, to, and to, to come out of that. In my early teen years, we had many conversations, but one of the conversations that my dad and I had was, one night dad was about to discipline me. And he began to cry and he said to me, Chuck, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. I never have a, had a father. We're going to have to learn how to do this together. I'll never forget it. He made many mistakes. But dad always was quick to ask for forgiveness. Christ transformed my dad's life, but he left him without the ability to be a superhero. I spoke to a men's group in early May at a men's conference, and I said this to dads, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be humble. You have to be. If you're imperfect and prideful, God help your children. If you're broken, imperfect, and humble, God will reveal himself through you to your children. So funny, this morning, we woke up to this picture right here. 
And this is our stone who has just arrived in Kenya. And he's, what's he doing? He's living in the director of an orphanage's home for the next six weeks. The beauty of God's plan. My dad from an orphan. Here we are and stone now in Kenya serving. And the stories of that being replicated in this church. I'm sitting right here with Candace Friday night. And right here sits a little boy named Michael. One of the lead actors in the performance. And I'm sitting there going, Michael, we prayed for your daddy for three years, almost three years while he was in prison. Your daddy, Michael, who is here today, who was adopted by a beautiful lady in our family, in our church family, who's adopted, Ardeth, how many children? Foster children and adopted. 35. And Michael stand. And I don't know if he's, he's athletic, he's handsome, he's winsome, he's charming. He got one of the lead roles. And I'm sitting here going, God, we prayed for his daddy. His daddy's out. His daddy's part of this church family. God is meeting his daddy's needs. What are you, what's the trajectory of Michael Zook going to be? Are y'all out there with me? Who knows? So, in closing this morning, I know you sang it the first time, but y'all were sleepy when you sang it the first time. You're finally awake. If I didn't put you back to sleep. That song, The Father's House, I'm going to walk right down, and we're going to close this service this morning by saying, and men especially, I'm not giving you false hope. This isn't, you know, a pass. This is me speaking into you. You know, David, what he went through in being rejected, it was David that, who understood, you know what, oh God, when he failed miserably, oh God, a broken and contrite heart. That's what you work with. David, who would later go, Lord, I'd rather be a, a door key, an usher at church than have a penthouse suite in Vegas. Some of y'all are having a hard time making that choice. Not David. David, Lord, your love... It's better than life itself. And I could go thousands of verses he wrote that, you, that we quote often. The little shepherd boy who got dissed by his daddy but had a destiny. And God reached down, anointed, appointed, and used him. And to this day in Israel, the Jewish people still today revere that little David as the greatest king of Israel. Are y'all out there this morning? Come on, let's stand and give God praise this morning.